Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies, and today my guest is producer-director Steve Binder, and we're going to be talking about this wonderful documentary entitled Reinventing Elvis, The 68 Comeback. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Jan. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure having you here. Oh, my goodness. This excellent, excellent, excellent documentary. I loved every minute of it. I can't wait to see it again. It's just so full of so many wonderful things. But why? now you you said this is the first time you've ever decided to share the story of you and Elvis and the 1968 comeback special as we've all called it it had a different title when it came out but why did you decide at this point in time to tell your story I didn't Jan to be honest with you I was approached well first of all I was creative consultant on the Elvis movie and with Baz Luhrmann and Baz and I just hit it off great but making a variety type feature film directors in general take a lot of literary license and if i was to tell my story because i think there's only four of us alive today who even were in that inner circle of my creative team who put the 68 special together with elvis when i was approached by spencer and john scheinfeld who he hired to do the directing of it I was pretty negative. I said, you know, there have been a hundred books. There have been all kinds of movie of the weeks over the years. There have been all kinds of specials that have talked about the 68 special. And they've all been third party. Nobody was there who did any of these projects. They just picked up the folklore and talked to people who they felt had knowledge of what went on behind the scenes and so forth. And I said, guys, I don't want to do another one of these type specials. I think it was John who said, well, let us pitch it to you because we think it's very unique. And Spencer popped in. This is a buddy special between you and Elvis. So I sat and I listened to them pitch it and they were right. They made it. So I was very enthusiastic about it. And I told them after they did their pitch that that I was in any way they wanted me. And it turned out that they really didn't need me that much, except I did do a lot of the... uh, narration of of the story and I was there to answer all the phone calls when they called and asked questions of what happened with the costuming, what happened with the sets. I mean, they, they really got and dug deep and I gave them totally honest answers from my perspective. I know the old adage of when you uh, play the game, a party game at uh, your friend's house and you're sitting in a circle and somebody whispers a joke in the person sitting next to them and by the time it completes the circle, it has no relationship to the the, uh, initial joke that was told to the first person. And so my memory is pretty sharp. Uh, Even at my age, I kind of have a photographic memory of all the shows that I've done and I was there to answer all their questions and I was real proud of the work they did. I mean, I was amazed as a matter of fact and uh, I'm glad I did it and the response so far, we haven't even released it yet on Paramount Plus. I think it goes out on the 15th or the 17th of this month. They did play it theatrically worldwide in theaters and a lot of the Elvis fans went to their local theater if it played in their market and so 
Swat, and the reviews were, I couldn't have written them better myself. So uh, I'm very pleased with what is actually happening in terms of now and the future. I've had Spencer Proffer is the producer on this documentary, Reinventing Elvis, the 68 comeback. I'm going to say the name quite a few times so the listeners know what we're talking about. But John has been on the show a couple of times. Spencer Proffer's been on the show a couple of times with his other documentaries about John Coltrane and Don McLean. And I've had John Scheinfeld on the show a couple of times also with his Sergio Mendez documentary and then his recent one, What the Hell Happened? Uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, <laughs> which was great. So um, I'm sorry that I'd love to get them on too to talk about this documentary, but they're wonderful, um, wonderful work. And, and Kathleen Hermitage has also been on my show too with her. The best uh, part of it, Jan, is they're really nice people. I, and yeah, go ahead. A lot to me. Yeah. Really nice people. I mean, Spencer's just a gem. Uh, they all they all are. It's not you're in good company there, Steve. <laughs> the people that you chose to work with on this project. Absolutely. And who'd have thought when I originally did the Elvis special and along with all my other projects, a videotape wasn't even invented in those days. A story that's really interesting is how we put it together is I shot it on two inch videotape which was relatively new to the industry at the time. And then what happened after I finished shooting all of the different takes and segments, we transferred it to Kinescope. So I actually edited on film. When we got to the very end, the master two-inch videotape wasn't touched. So uh, none of the edits were on it. So uh, in those days, the way you edited videotape was you got out a razor blade and a little bottle of acetate, and you literally cut the tape physically and married the two segments together. Well, by the time I finished, there had to be 200 edits to do that process, and it was painful from a physical standpoint. And when they put it all together, it was flawless. I mean, it all fit perfectly just the way we had planned it with the uh, kinescope. And I was incredibly shocked that this year when I watched it again, because I hadn't watched it for quite a few years, I said to myself, trying to be as objective as I could, but I felt this is one special that I could have shot last month. None of it is dated. It doesn't look like it was done 50 plus years ago and uh, Elvis came alive to me again all of a sudden he was out there doing his thing and I I think the beauty of the special and what they named the comeback was Elvis rediscovering himself and I think that is the real you know I look at it and I can see him his body language his performance which was so much mature than when he appeared in the 60s on the Ed Sullivan show for instance and then he went through at least 10 years where he didn't even really make any music. He was doing those basically B-films. And all of a sudden he came back and it all came back to him, especially when I put him with DJ Fontana and Scotty Moore, his original guitarist and, and drummer. Those guys hadn't seen each other, didn't have a chance to even rehearse the acoustic segment. So what you saw was just a bunch of guys getting together and picking up from the day before 10 years or so earlier when they used to do this 
uh, on a regular basis just for fun. And I was lucky enough to capture that. I mean, Elvis, when I told him, it was so fortunate that when I took him out to NBC, he had rented a home in Beverly Hills for Priscilla and his newborn baby, Lisa Marie, who was only two months old at the time. And Elvis came to me and said, do you think it's possible we could put a bed in my dressing room? Because I don't want to waste hours of driving back and forth from Burbank to Beverly Hills every day. And I want to focus on on the special. As a result, when we'd finish rehearsing or uh, taping something, he would go into his dressing room, living room or bedroom, and he would, whoever happened to be hanging out, would just jam until all kinds of hours, just having fun, telling stories, playing songs I never heard before that he used to play when he started his career and so forth. And I immediately wanted to bring cameras into the dressing room, and uh, the colonel was adamant, saying, no chance, over my dead body, all these cliches. I just kept pestering him, saying, I know this is what the world's waiting for, to see Elvis as he really is, not this superficial, scripted, though he was always cut above the material when he went through that era of making movies. It was a time in America where we'd been invaded by the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and Elvis felt he wasn't relevant anymore, that the young audiences wouldn't, when they, if he tried to come back, he wouldn't be able to capture that audience anymore. They had moved on. And he asked me very early on, you know, what happens if the special bombs? And I said, you'll still be remembered for your early Lieber and Stoller type songs and so forth before the colonel started demanding that every writer who submitted a song had to give Elvis uh, and his publishing company all the rights to their, their music. It was a case where he had run dry in the music business, being forgotten, and uh, he was now a, a B-movie star. And so when I got a hold of him, I'd never known him before. I met him at my office, and I never talked or saw him again after we said our final goodbye when we finished shooting the special. And uh, it was all due to the colonel. I didn't hesitate when they made the documentary because they really wanted to make the villain Parker. And in my eyes and experience, he was. I mean, he He was doing everything in his power to sabotage it because he wanted Elvis' future to be more in the line of an Andy Williams or a Perry Como and so forth. And I I didn't want any part of that. And as a result, uh, in my head, I said, I'm not doing this when I met the colonel to get permission to see Elvis and meet Elvis for the first time. When I got back uh, after a meeting with the colonel, I went back to my office and there was an urgent call from Bob Finkel, who was a great executive producer on the special and uh, Bob at the same time was at the prime of his career he was producing uh, the Jerry Lewis series on NBC and the Phyllis Diller series on NBC and uh, Tom Sarnoff the head of NBC wanted him to produce the Elvis show and he told the colonel no uh, I'll act as executive producer but I gotta find somebody who can produce and direct it uh, that Elvis can relate to. Because he joked about Elvis always calling him Mr. Finkel instead of Bob. (laughs) And he couldn't get Elvis uh, to refer to him uh, by his first name. And uh, I just finished shooting a uh, a special right before I did Elvis with Petula Clark and Harry Belafonte. And it was... uh, 
you know, the, the 60s was an amazing decade for America with the Vietnam War going on, uh, students protesting all over the country on, on uh, campuses, uh, assassinations of our president and Martin Luther King and so forth. So uh, it, it was tumultuous and yet exciting. And, and on the Tula Clark special, when she, not Harry, reached over during an emotional anti-war song and touched Harry's forearm, it was a shot heard around the world. It's in primetime variety. Uh, before that, no black man or white woman had ever touched each other. And uh, the representative of the sponsor of the show objected, uh, wanted it taken out of the show, wanted me to use another one of the takes that I had done where they didn't touch. And I actually went to the editing room and erased all the other takes. So the only one they had left to put into the show uh, was was the touch. And uh, it's the best thing I ever did, I think. Yes. And uh, that's what triggered Bob Finkel and NBC to make the call to me to see if I was available to, to do Elvis. And they had a contract with Colonel Parker because it was never intended to be anything to do with television. Elvis didn't want to do variety anymore. Uh, he had been uh, my mentor earlier, Steve Allen, actually put him on his variety show, put a hound dog in front of him on a table, had Elvis dressed in a tuxedo singing the Lieber and Stoller song, Hound Dog. Uh, and, uh, you know, having in the 60s, all the major variety series were hosted by either middle-of-the-road singers like Andy Williams and Perry Como or comedians, and their goal on their shows was to make fun of, of Elvis. And he felt he was used and abused by all these variety show hosts and didn't want to do television. And uh, the only reason the Colonel went to NBC is because none of the movie studios wanted to put up that million-dollar fee that he was demanding for himself uh, and Elvis uh, to make the movie. And uh, so he had run dry. No studio wanted to make Change a Habit with Mary Tyler Moore. So the colonel decided, you know, where's the money? Well, I guess it's at the TV networks. So he went to NBC only to raise the money for Change of Habit, not not for Elvis to do television. And uh, Sarnoff was smart enough to say, we'll give you the money or loan you the money, uh, but on one condition that Elvis do a one-hour television special. And uh, the colonel never told Elvis. So when I got the call from Finkel, uh, Finkel said, we have a contract with the colonel, but we don't have Elvis Presley <laughs> to agree to do it. So I need to find somebody who he can relate to, who's around the same age. Uh, I happen at the time, uh, I'm a great believer in audio as well as uh, video and uh, in in the early days of television, it seemed everybody on the television side just thought it was a visual media, and they didn't pay any attention to the soundtracks or or the audio. And uh, so the Colonel and, and uh, Sarnoff, between themselves, had decided Elvis was going to do a Christmas special. He's going to sing twenty Christmas songs. 
and uh, that would be the special. And uh, when I got the call, you know, they had the colonel was on board, but Elvis wasn't. And Bob said, if we can get Elvis to do it, would you be interested? I just saw your Petula special with Harry and and I uh, loved it. And uh, I know you're in the music business as well as the television business. Um, my partner, a great uh, local uh, Californian like myself, uh, was producing exclusively the Fifth Dimension and the Association. Uh, he was in the studio with Laura Nero cutting an uh, anti-war record with her called Save the Country. And, uh, you know, uh, Bob felt that, you know, I could speak the language with Elvis that he was comfortable uh, hearing. And it's true because uh, when I first met Elvis... After I agreed uh, not to do the special, but to meet with him to see if we were compatible, uh, the first question he he asked me is, he said, television is not my turf. And I said, what's your turf? And he said, it's making records. I said, great, then you make a record and I'll put pictures to it. <laughs> and Priscilla told me much later that was the key phrase in the meeting that he came home all excited saying i don't care what the colonel says i'm going with this young guy bender he seems uh you know to be on the same wavelength with me and i have a gut feeling something special could happen and uh so it was a wonderful experience for me and uh you know, I was in fear to begin with that Elvis might be a redneck or a racist or whatever mm-hmm. coming from Tupelo, Mississippi in the Deep South. And, uh, you know, theater owners were notorious in those days of uh, cutting out black artists out of their films that, that they received and so forth. And uh, it turned out Elvis was just the opposite. I, I was you know, 2,000 miles away from Memphis being a Californian. But Elvis and I had a lot in common in terms of our values and growing up. And and I think it all summed itself up in the last song when when he sang that original uh, If I Can Dream uh, that Earl Brown wrote. Beautiful song. Just a beautiful song. Wow, Steve, I could listen to you for hours. (laughs) I'm sure I'm (laughs) long-winded. No, it's great. I love it. I love it. That's a great guest. (laughs) Makes my job really easy. Uh, (laughs) Really easy. There were a couple things here. I... I felt, I mean, I hate to admit it, but I, because I always age myself, but I saw that special in real time. And uh, I call it the sexy Elvis. We had the sexy Elvis when he came out in that black leather outfit. And that was just, you know, being unplugged, you know, the early being unplugged when he came out and sang. And it was a wonderful special. I feel, though, um, in watching this, you know, you just feel some the the pain because here he the special really did bring him back, and you know people were were listening to him again, and then the colonel stepped in the villain and changed, you know, went had him go back, and you know we all know the story of what we do now after we've seen the wonderful movie Baz Luhrmann's uh, um, film Elvis, um, that he died inside. I, I really feel at that point it was pivotal after that special when he felt really good and feeling like he's 
definitely on the right track again, that because of the colonel and his maneuvering and everything else, that Elvis lost his fire inside. And I really think, you know, that contributed to his early death, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, the drugs and the gaining the weight and eating the food that he just ate himself to death and, and drugged himself to death. What are your thoughts about that? Well, in all honesty, when I worked with Elvis, he was clean as a whistle. I mean, he had just come back from a vacation in Hawaii. He looked phenomenal he when he walked into the office. He did look phenomenal. Uh, you know, and he was... Uh, you know, I, I'm to begin with, and I, I'm not saying this facetiously, but I'm very naive. I mean, I've been around Me artists and friends who go on television and say, yeah, I had a $50,000 a week drug habit <laughs> that I kicked. I mean, if they were around me, I would have never known because those things just went straight over my head. I, I somehow survived the 60s without any drugs. You know, never, uh, you know, that was one thing that Dacry Montgomery did in the uh, Baz Luhrmann movie where he smoked all the way through. Well, I never smoked a cigarette except once in high school, uh, hated it and, and never smoked a cigarette again in my life. You know, we in in motion pictures, they take a lot of literary license. Right. And that is right. no exception right. to, you know, uh, uh kind of expand his variety uh, films. And I never was at the Hollywood sign with, with my partner Bones and Elvis. Uh, you know, I, uh, but that was okay. But in a documentary, I wanted to be as honest and pure as, as possible. Right. The, the truth of the matter is, uh, I never, you know, I saw it. Uh, Elvis on the Ed Sullivan show as a kid before I was in even show business. And I liked what I saw. He was with his original bassist, Bill Black and, and uh, Scotty Moore, his guitarist, uh, you know, and, and then all of a sudden he disappeared from my life right. because there was so much hype from RCA records and Colonel Parker and Steve, I hate and to I interrupt brought I... into it thinking maybe they were responsible for his, right. his I I hate to inter- I hate to interrupt you. I hate- Unfortunately, our time is up. And unfortunately, I could sit and talk to you for hours more about this film. We might have to schedule a part two so we can talk further about this movie. But um, everybody, you can watch it on Paramount Plus. And again, it's Reinventing Elvis, the '68 comeback. Um, it's going to be on Paramount Plus on uh, August fifteenth. So please, MTV, I think it's launching on that platform first. Yes. Great, great. Uh, so it, it's a wonderful documentary. I highly and after if you've all wa- went to see Elvis the movie Baz Luhrmann's film, you'll really want to see this one because it really gives you more in depth story about this particular pivotal point in the career of Elvis Presley. And you were such a big part of. I mean, you were the part of this and that part of history, Steve. So it is an honor to have you on the show, and I I would love to have you come back and we could talk some more about this for sure. I love you, Jan. I, I haven't given you enough time to talk <laughs> dominated this this uh, interview and conversation and i apologize no 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 you make my job easy so uh, we'll do it another time it sounds great thank you so much steve i really appreciate it you have a wonderful day and great success you too thank you bye 
To all my wonderful, loyal listeners, your love of film allows me to do what I do. If you want to support me, the best way to do that is to hit the subscribe button on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And of course, on YouTube. Subscribing matters. If you are feeling really compelled, I want to hear from you. Have a burning question, comment, or review? Drop me an email at thejampriceshow.com. Thank you for listening. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies.